Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Huge day when we look at um, our series going through Philippians. Uh, we're going to talk about uncommon truth. I love this passage of Scripture. It's lengthy. I'll, I'll uh, warn you ahead of time. But in the, what's happening in this, in this passage of Scripture is Paul's going to describe what is what makes the gospel so uncommon? Two characteristics of what separates Christianity from, I think, every single religion in the world. And I'd be so bold as to say this. This is, what we're, that's, this is what's going to define true spirituality. Okay? And this is, this is where most people who think they're Christians and they're not Christians, this today, we're, the passage in chapter 3, 1 through 14 or so, is going to define what separates those two? What, there's, and I would, we're going to quote Siren Kierkegaard later. He's going to say most people are not Christians because this passage in their life. They don't get this passage. Awesome, right? Let's get going. Yes, sir. But before we start, uh, we're going to read a lot of verses, so I want to tell you what to look for. Okay, Paul uh, is the author of this, and he's going to be showing people that his self-righteous actions are of no merit or are worthless compared to knowing Christ and receiving the righteousness that comes just by faith, not by earning it, but just by receiving it by faith. That's the point of this passage. We'll see how that makes the gospel uncommon truth when I finish reading it. But let's look for that as we go. Paul says in verse 1, chapter 3, he says, Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Now watch out for these false teachers, these fake Christians out there. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those manipulators of the flesh, for we are the true circumcision, we who serve God by his Holy Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the self-righteousness in our own flesh, Though I myself, I've got a reason to put confidence there. Here's Paul's righteousness. If someone else thinks he has a reason to have confidence in the flesh or my righteousness, I've got even more. Circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. With zeal? Are you kidding? I persecuted the church. As for the righteousness based on the law, flawless. But, however... Were gains, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. <laughs> but what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider him garbage, that I might gain Christ and to be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, no, 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 but to have that which comes by faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Whew. What's he saying? What is, what is uncommon about the truth of the gospel? He, Paul is saying this. The true gospel says this. It's not enough that you repent of your sins. The true gospel is this, that you repent of your own righteousness. Okay? Sure. Okay. To become a Christian, you have to repent and change your values towards Evil doing, big deal. I think every religion has that. What Christianity, what makes it an uncommon truth, Paul's saying here, is you have to change your whole value and your perspective and your worth as it's attached to this thing, your own righteousness. The, the, trans, the depth of transforming power 
is to change your view of your good works, your goodness. That's the key. That's the point of this, okay? And, and he, the way he explains this to be true is he goes through and he gives his credentials for his righteousness. And, and so he goes, um, so he starts off, and, and in light of his audience, he's saying, look, you want to keep score? Keep score. Watch this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I, I, I was born a Jew, okay? I didn't, I didn't convert to Judaism. I was uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes that stayed faithful to David when he was the king. There were only two. He's from one of them, and he can absolutely trace his ancestry back to that tribe. He says, the Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? It means in the context of those times, there were a lot of Jews that were mostly Greek. It's called, they were Hellenistic, it's called. And, and, and their mother tongue and their heart language was Greek. His, my heart is Hebrew, Hebrew of Hebrews. As according, you know, knowing the law, he's a Pharisee. That meant he, he you know, rose to the level of not just knowing the Bible, but living it, living it, a, a true man of God, okay, as to, toward zeal. He persecuted the church because he thought it was in, you know, in a war with God. And he, so he didn't talk about it. He didn't write papers about it. He led the charge to persecute the church. And then finally he says, when it comes to the righteousness of the law, perfect, flawless. Here's what he's saying. Let me just summarize it. He's saying this. Paul says this. When it comes to personal righteousness, I'm the richest man you've ever met. Okay? That's what he's saying. If, if, righteous, personal right, if righteousness were, were money, I'm, I'm the richest man in the world. I, I've, I was given everything in my Hebrew. I, I've done everything. But that's where my boast is, he says, if I wanted to. That's where my confidence would be. If I looked in the mirror, that's what I saw. And then he says that, and then he says this giant contrast that says, but that's not true Christianity you have to repent of your righteousness, and, so, and here's why. He says, but here's a summary of those verses, but whatever I found a prophet, I now consider a loss. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness. We'll look at that word or those, that phrase later. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I consider all this other stuff rubbish. Translations, others say garbage. A literal translation, uh, excrement. That's what he's All this... I'm the personal righteousness. I'm the richest man you've ever met. But in contrast, in this surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, that stuff is waste to me. See, he's, see what he's saying? Why is he using such graphic language? He's repenting of his personal righteousness. Why? I mean, what, what, what's, what changed in him? These were all things that he admired and defined him because of the surpassing greatness. That's the word that's used. It, it literally means this super thing showed up. What used to be important, what used to be most brilliant in my life, what used to be the thing that defined me has been overtaken by a super thing, a, a surpassing greatness. So, uh, uh, the, what, what, what controlled me? I live my life around this. It has no power now. What would drive me? What would define me? How I found myself? I forgot. I, I, I got lost in something greater. It, it doesn't affect me anymore. And why is this? Look at verse 9. I think it's verse 9. He says, 
and to be found in him. That's what matters now, what to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That stuff doesn't even count. But that which is comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He, he's been eclipsed. All those things that mattered so much don't matter. All those things that had power have no power. It, look at it this way. This super thing, this idea of a super thing. If your life, were, you know, if you went out at night and looked at the night sky and said, those stars are my life. I mean, that's, those are the things that I'm, I'm proud of. Those are the things that I'm known for. In Paul's case, this, I'm a Benjamite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? I'm a Pharisee. I'm zealous. All those, look at all, look how brilliant they all are. We would say my accomplishments, my, my wealth. Have you seen my kids? Oh, look how cute look and how well-behaved they are, right? My reputation. And that's, and the stars at night, they're, they're big and bright. Until the closest star shows up at dawn, and they're gone. The stars are still there. You can't see them because of this super thing. I mean, you, you look at the stars at night on a clear night and, and see all your righteousness and say, you could almost read a paper out here. In the, in the daylight of God's righteousness, you say, oh, you can read a paper, but you'll need to do it in the shade. It's that brilliant. And so personal righteousness or your reputation or your, your, your whatever you consider valuable, this super thing shows up and it becomes forgettable. It becomes, it becomes manure. It's a contrasting statement. So um, you might have done this as a child, or your children might collect those little plastic rings. We, our kids did something like that. We'd go to the grocery store, and they'd get a free coupon, and they'd get plastic rings, and they'd wear them, and they'd collect them, and they have more plastic rings than anybody else, the most plastic rings ever. And then Jesus shows up, right? That's their bragging rights of life. Then Jesus shows up, and he has a ring from the crown jewels. And now you're seem pretty petty, don't they? All your definitions of you. But here's the thing. This is the nature of faith. You're going to have to put down your plastic rings to hold that real one. That's what it means to live by faith. That's what it means to repent. Repent means to change your values, to change your mind, to change your conduct based on a change of values and a change of thinking. And Paul says the real gospel, the uncommon truth, okay, the uncommon truth, the real gospel, this righteousness that comes by faith, it's not enough to repent of sin. You must repent of your own righteousness, your own value that you have worth, that you've done enough, that you're good. Um, Siren Kierkegaard, uh, he invented or discovered, depending upon how you look at it, uh, what's called existentialism. It's this idea of, of, of a deepness of the fullness of a human experience, right? And he said this, this will help us. He says, people go through three stages of spiritual growth. Now he would say, very few make it to the third stage. Most people just ping pong back and forth between the first and the second stage. That's what Paul's talking about. In many respects, he's talking about the three stages that Kierkegaard talks about. Let me explain a little bit more. The first stage that Kierkegaard speaks of, he calls the aesthetic stage. I would call it the irreligious. In the irreligious phase of life, people say, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, because it feels good. Nobody's the boss of me. Whatever feels good, whatever I want to do, I'm going to do. Now, 
listen, this can be pretty exciting. It honestly can. Uh, it's, it's terrorizing to your body, to your soul, and to your spirit. It will ravage your relationships. It will disintegrate, you know, uh, well, your, your body and well-being. Your family and friends will be lost as a result of just doing whatever you want to do, right? Some expression of hedonism. And so repentance at stage one is saying, okay, I'm going to quit thinking that's the way to live life, and I'm going to quit thinking those are good things. I'm going to change my values and change my conduct as a result of that. And that gets you to stage two. But I just want you to say, sure, good, change your view on that. But you're in the family. If just going from irreligious to religious is Christian, I just, just remind you, I mean, every burnout rock star and movie person has done that. It just, it's, if nothing else, it's survival. And so some people, they'll leave the exciting life that's detrimental to their well-being. They'll, they'll go from irreligious to religious, Kierkegaard's second level. He called that the ethical level. And this is a person that says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop doing bad and I'm going to start doing good. I'm going I'm to start, you know, not have, I used to not have any rules and now I have rules. And, and some people, okay, some people just because of the context of this passage, some people start here. They don't do the first stage. Some very compliant people, very disciplined people, sometimes firstborn compliant disciplined people, they just start right here. They don't have to be like making mistakes out here that are costly. The reason I mention that is Paul was here. Paul started here. You can't find, you, if you look at his life, he, he's not going back there and going, man, I was making these decisions, and I repented, and I became a Pharisee. He grew up right here, and, and, and he said, but this isn't enough. This, going from, <laughs> this is what a lot of people think is Christianity, the ethical life, the religious life. There's no power here. There's mis- there's no, there's, this is not the gospel. This is not radical. This doesn't change people's souls. It changes their conduct. And so, I mean, you see people, and this is, this is how they communicate the gospel. You know, you're living irreligious. You need to get to church. You, you don't pray. You should start praying. You're breaking the Ten Commandments. You should start obeying the Ten Commandments. No radical power. Religion without the power of Christianity. And what you become here is a Pharisee, just a score-keeping Pharisee. And you're keeping score in your life, in other people's lives, and your relationship with God. Because that's how you live life. And so you look at other people, and you, and you generally these people, these religious, ethical people, the disciplined, right, the legalistic, they keep score. They're just like, why can't you do more? Why can't you do better? It's the way they parent, always feeling like they're doing 51% in the marriage, generally speaking, right, or more. There's, no, there's not a lot of grace, <laughs> no joy to speak of because they're just keeping score. And, and sometimes they turn that on themselves, and they can become very depressive because it's never enough. There's always something else. But here's the part that, that is especially ruinous to the Pharisee, the religious person, um, the ethical, the stage two, is in their relationship with God, they have um, like a service contract with God. And, and, they, and they say, look, uh, I'm, I went from here, irreligious to religious, I'm doing my part. Let's go, God. You do yours. 
Hey, I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to quit doing bad. I'm going to start doing good. I'm going to quote some passages. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to come to church. Okay. It's food pellet, abundant life, religion. I don't even want to call it Christianity. Food pellet, abundant life, right? Food pellet. I've done, I've ran my, my maze. I'm tapping on the little buzzer here, a little abundant life, okay? Right? I mean, there should be more. I mean, where's that boyfriend now? I've been doing the right thing for a year now. Where's that boyfriend? I should have a promotion. I got my kids. They're memorizing verses. They got patches to prove it. They're doing all this stuff. We're, you know, having our devos. Okay, you know, you can raise up a child, you know. Okay. They get pretty mad at God because God owes them. God owes them. And then, listen, they're not tapping their toe on earth alone. When they get to heaven, they're bringing that value to heaven and tapping their toe at the gate going, it's me, you know, let's get these doors open. You, because their righteousness, their value of their personal righteousness is their Savior. That's how they consider those things. And Paul's saying here, my point is, is what this passage is teaching is this uncommon truth about the gospel is this, that it's not only sin that keeps you from God. Okay? It's not even mainly sin that blinds you. I would say it's, sin is not the main reason people are not Christians. It's not sin. It's their view of personal righteousness and that's what they have to repent. They have to change their value about their personal righteousness. Right? Because it's it's their because that this religious person their view of their of their well-being and the goodness of their soul is what warps their uh, self-awareness. It, it it warps their perspective on other people. It, it dements their view of their relationship with God. See, there's a great consequence to that. That's, I think C.S. Lewis says something that, like the prostitute's closer to experiencing the fullness of true spirituality than the religious person because at least the prostitute knows she needs help. This person thinks you're welcome, God. And so if you look at Paul's story, let me just reiterate this. Look, at Paul's, look what's happening in Paul's story. He doesn't say, I repented from sin and now I understand the power he said, I repented from my righteousness, and now I'm getting the power of the gospel. That's, that's how he changed. So, so stage, stage two um, is, is saying, it's, you can't, to, to move on to stage three, he says, you can't simply repent of sin. You have to repent of your value, your system, of your personal ro- uh, righteousness. That Jesus, um, <laughs> Jesus has to be more... To, more to you than a hero, a role model, a good teacher. He has to be your savior. And a, a concept in, of understanding that gets you to this third level, okay, which was called spiritual or true spirituality. Francis Schaeffer, you know that. He called it true spirituality. And when you repent of this righteousness that you have and you see that it's nothing and, and it just pales, right? You can't even see the stars. In the light of day, when you get there, then you go into that relationship with God saying, he owes me nothing. Right? And, 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 and the list of things that I have done that are good things. I'll say that in a moment, but it, those are good things. They're, they're waste. They're, they're, they're worthless compared. 
And because, here's why. Because this super thing showed up. Because the, the glory of God's righteousness, of Christ's righteousness, and knowing him is what happens. And that's why verse 8 and 9, look, let's read it again with that in context now about repenting from righteousness. He says, what is more, more, what is more than what I've done? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, this super thing of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all these things. I consider them all garbage. They're waste to me, okay, I, I, that I might gain Christ and to be found in him and not having this righteousness that's my own that comes from the law, but which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, okay? But, <laughs> true spirituality, it's, it's being overwhelmed with knowing Christ and you forget about you and yours. I want you to see that, by the way, in the, in the context of this, and if you look at the length of Paul's life, Paul's not saying those are bad things. Some people do that. Oh, those, those things that I did were, are, are, you know, dung. No, no, no. They're as dung in comparison. But, but listen, I mean, being like born into Judaism, he's proud of that. Being part of the Benjamite uh, clan, he's proud of that. Being a student, right, the Hebrew of Hebrews, knowing Right? And, then, and being a student, he's happy that happened. He was glad he lived a good life. Everyone that has lived a good life is glad they lived a good life. Okay? He, he loved that. But it's the surpassing worth of Christ that makes, it, makes him say it, nothing, nothing like that matters anymore. See, before, right here, it was his identity when he was a religious person. Now, it's not even remotely part of what defines him because true spirituality is defined by knowing Christ and pursuing him. You'll hear this every once in a while with some uh, people. It, it, it would be as though he won awards. I mean, these awards that people live and die for, Academy Awards and Grammy Awards and, I don't know, you know, best player, those sorts of things. And he goes, yeah, 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 I won those things. It was a good movie. It was a pretty good song. I like the beat. Where's the trophy? Uh... You know what? I think they're in the attic. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I don't know. My wife didn't throw them away. Yeah. They're up there. See, at, you know, when you walk into this house, it's like there's not the trophy case. It's, his trophy case is he's got a Bible on the table now. Here's, here's how to apply this. Jesus is not an add-on. He defines you. That's what Paul's talking about. And so some people look at Jesus as an add-on for power, and they, they come across uh, something in their life that they have no power over, and they're looking for a higher power, and his name is Jesus, and they say, great, I need, a, I need power to get over this hump. I need power to kind of help in my career goals or what my goals might be. Thank you, Jesus. Here, let's pray some prayers. That's not, that's, not, that's not real spirituality. That's religion. That's using God. Um, some people, Jesus is an add-on for forgiveness. Tremendous amount of guilt and regret, and they want to get free from that. He does that. <laughs> but that's not a surpassing greatness of his glory. You, you have to let it, what it is, is it's when, it's everything, it's, it's everything about yourself. It's everything that you perceive. It's, it's the way, uh, when you, uh, it's going back to looking in the mirror and set it, instead of seeing the list of accomplishments, you see him. And, and your desire to want to know him. 
And this, this spiritual level that Kierkegaard spoke of and true spirituality that Paul's talking about, this is what makes Christianity so dangerous in every culture in the history of Christianity. Because once a person wraps their identity around this one thing, this super thing, the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ and knowing him and his righteousness, when, when that is who you are and you can't lose it, then you can live life with nothing to lose. And I mean, you can't, you can, what, what, what could someone take away from you? Your reputation? What if they do it maliciously and lying? Why do you care? That's in the attic. Why, why are you meditating so much on the things that, that don't matter anymore? Why, oh, look, let's, let's smell the aroma of the dung. How about we do something else? How about we put it where it belongs, kapush, and we say, let's, this super thing that eclipses all other things, and that's who I am, and my pursuit of him and knowing him. That's why in this third level, Kierkegaard says, this person is filled with joy. And joy is the ability, independent of circumstances, to experience an overwhelming presence of God. That's true spirituality. That's the real Christianity, okay? That's, <laughs> that's what makes it an uncommon truth. That leads us to the second part of our, our passage that teaches us another uncommon truth that's found in the gospel, and that is a purpose to live, a, a life-defining purpose to live. Look at three through four, or, I'm sorry, 10 through 14. Here's what he says. Here's, I want to know Christ. That's what I want to do. That's it. That's all I'm living for. I want to know Christ. Yes, in the power of the resurrection and the participation in what? Okay, okay, I want to know Christ. That's a good thing. But to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, well, that hurts. Anyway, let's just keep reading. Um, becoming like him into his death. Wow. Okay, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Look, look, look. Not that I've already obtained this, okay, or that I've already arrived at my goal. No, no, no. I press on. And I take hold of that which is Christ Jesus as he took hold of me. Now, look, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to a person who's taken hold of this, okay? But one thing I do, I forget what's laid behind, and I'm straining towards what's raised, what, what was ahead, and I'm pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what he's living for, okay? This is the purpose in life. And here's what the reason I emphasize that even death and suffering are enveloped into this purpose of I want to know Christ. Now, twice he uses the word press on, and I hurt my hands trying to illustrate that to you. The word means persecute. It means persecute, and it can be translated to, to pound, to push, to force. He is violently dedicated to, to pushing forward in his knowledge and understanding of what, who Christ is and how Christ can influence his life. It is, he's realizing that this, this pressing, it is pain for a purpose. And the purpose is to know Christ. Here's, here's how to look at what this passage says. Paul's saying, he's like, he's, you know, we see them on TV. Some of you might have been there. He's an elite athlete. 
Okay, I mean the, the, the elite athletes. And you can see these on commercials more and more where they're, they're going behind the scenes. What's happening in the dark gets you to light. Those commercials that say, look, 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 all that pain and suffering and death and resurrection, all that, okay? You know, the, the, the meals, the crazy diets that I'm having to be on, the sleep pattern and the workouts and the injuries and the recovery from injuries and the suffering and the loneliness and this poverty. Many of these athletes are in poverty. They sleep in their cars so that it's worth that prize. And Paul's saying, I'm pressing on. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to pay the price that's necessary because it's worth that to know Christ. And so, so it envelops all of his life now. So suffering is part of that because he's, he's pressing on. And so he hits a, a lonely period of life and he's been doing his righteousness, but he's not obliging God. And he's saying, you know, instead of saying, hey, where's that boyfriend, right? He's past due. He says, you know what? Loneliness is teaching me some things about pressing on that I might not have learned any other way. And sometimes it might be that I, I, I want this too badly, or sometimes it might mean understanding the grief of loneliness. Wow, it's not good that man should be alone. I thought that was kind of a bumper sticker. Uh, we, again, we look at, we look at our, our life situations or our career, and sometimes when we're in the religious, we're, again, He's on the meter, and he's not getting back to us soon enough. But in this true spirituality where we're pressing on, we can say, you know what? Maybe I've made an idol of that silly title that I carry around in a business card to give to strangers. Maybe I care too much about that. Maybe I should care more about pursuing and pressing on. It's, it's not about being a fanatical Christian because I know fanatics, and I don't like them. What he's talking about is something completely different. He's talking about living his life viewing Christ. Here's a great way to see this, okay? It's like, it's like my glasses, okay? These are, my, these are the glasses I use to read. And I want you to know I have a relationship with my glasses. And this is not the relationship. Hi, glasses. I love my glasses. You should, you should, I have glasses, 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 glasses. No, this is, I perceive reality through these. This is the way I am able to focus and see things. And so, I, listen, uh, people that, that bother me a lot, they talk about their glasses, but they don't see life through them. They talk about Jesus. They use Jesus speak. They use church language, but they're not viewing life through the lens of Jesus. See, and listen, these glasses, I have a relationship with them. If they slip down my nose, I don't see things the way they really are. If they get cloudy and dirty like they are right this moment, then I start seeing life in a demented way. These glasses, I won't have these glasses in a year from now. I'll have stronger glasses. I'll need more help. That life does that to you. But listen, here's again, here's this fanatic, this church person, this religious person, this Jesus-speak person. When it comes to worry, they worry, 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 but they use Jesus-speak because worry's first and Jesus is for. And what, is, what does it mean to pursue, to press on? It means, what, is the, what does Jesus speak about worry? What does he talk about in his sovereignty? How does that change my perspective in life? Now that my identity is entirely different and it's the righteousness that's given to me that defines me, and now... Why do I worry so much about something being taken away that won't last anyway? That's 
<laughs> bitterness. You know, Jesus speak bitterness. Have you seen my glasses? They're awesome. They're black frame. Or you put glasses on, you say, oh, okay, wait a minute. God says, I'm the judge. No, no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. I do. Justice will prevail. I've given you a lot of mercy. So much there's more to go around from you. See? It's a perspective. It's a way of seeing things. That's why people that go to church or even are Christ followers, real Christians, when it comes to their finances, they talk a good game because they're just talking about it. They're not looking at saying, how do I become more generous? How do I learn how to, you know, how do I make my decisions about where I should live and, and how I should be content and maybe where the, how much to spend on child, you know, education and protection, those sorts of things, lifestyle issues. My relationships with other people. It's so frustrating when, when you hear people talk about praying with someone or talking about dating someone, making a long-term, engaging in a relationship that is, it's, its hope is to go long-term, and they're using this speak about Jesus, but if they put the glasses on and saw things, if they were pressing on and willing to pay the price to see things, they would see this man or this woman as the thing that will drag them down. That's what it means. That's what it means to know that that's what it means to have a passion. A passion is not talking about Jesus. A passion is looking at at priest at him as more than a, a series of precepts. It's an experience with him. It's to know him. I'm pressing on to know him. Not that I know him, not that I'm holding on, but he's holding on to me, but I want to know him more. I want him to be mine. Look, Here's, here's a, a major factor and maybe a diagnostic tool. If, let's go back to our metaphor. Okay, these are not going to be the same glasses I wear next year because I'm going to need stronger ones. That means change. Did you know one of the reasons, you, one of the effects of the Spirit of God in your life is to change you, to renew you? Here we go, pop quiz. Ask someone that you love. Give them a dollar to be honest and say, have I changed in the last year? I mean, you know, no, noticeably, in some way, have I, have I changed? Have you seen me pressing on so that I would put on glasses and stop talking about the glasses? Because I want you to know that the power of God's Spirit and the power of His resurrection will change you. And if you haven't changed it's because you won't let him. That's, it's just that way. You're saying it's going to cost too much. It's not worth the workout. It's not, right, I'm not going to miss meals over this. It's not, the prize isn't worth it. It's not a super thing to me. That should help you, like, kind of sober up. Uh, look, here's a, a motivating factor for me. I'm not proud of this. I'm not even remotely proud of this. But I, I did student ministry for, oh gosh, almost 20 years. And so I worked with high, junior high, high school, and college students. And here I saw this pattern happen in so many of their lives where, you know, they're trucking along and having a mildly good relationship with God. And it's usually they're working through these stages, honestly. Some of them are over here and then they repent. It's like, that's kind of cool. And then they go off to college because they're independent and they're scared and they're having to trust God in new, way, new ways. They get the real thing. 
Okay, and they repent of their right, of their personal righteousness, and they have a, an authentic desire to know God and to press on. And I mean, I got to tell you, I loved watching that. But what was what was sad to see is when they come home for Christmas, and then they come back in the new year, and they would say they felt like their parents were here, you know. And they'd always looked up to their parents because they were regular churchgoers and they were so ethical at work and they were known for being hospitable and, and you know, generous and PTA and whatever it might be. But when, they, when, they, when they've tasted the real thing, they come back and they say, I, I might have passed them, you know. I think I might have a better relationship with God than they do. And I don't know how long ago it was. It might have been close to 20 years ago when our, you know, when our kids were young, but I said to myself, none of my kids are coming home from college and looking at us, Melinda and me, and saying, I've lapped you. What's happened? How long has it been this way? And I, the reason I'm not real proud of it is because it's my own personal <laughs> level of competition that got me into this fight, Okay. I don't want my child to ever say that about me. And if that's the only thing that works for you, take it for a spin. You're supposed to peak right before you lose your breath, your last breath. You're always pressing on. You're always moving forward. And so here's the last kind of application in the second part here. What keeps you from being this elite athlete? What is it? Sometimes it's just laziness, you know? What is more important than this super thing? Are you, are you mad at God? Good. Just say you're mad at God and fight him. I'm telling you, you, you should read the Bible. Jacob, it was a good thing. Talk, just go. And because if you can't move on past that, then do that. If you're, if, you, if, you, if you're consumed with worry, whatever you're worried about, would you just con consider it rubbish like it is? Could you make Jesus first and worry third? If it's the people you're hanging around with, are they more important than this thing? You know, athletes, you know, what, you know who elite athletes hang around with? Elite athletes. Because maybe they, sometimes those are the only people that understand their diet and their sleep pattern and their pain and commitment. Sometimes it's our reputation. I'll just, people, you know, they'll think I'm one of the, yeah, okay, so? So what? I'm just asking, here's what I, I'm, this, this is a proposal today. Don't miss this. There's two applications. Do you need to repent of your own righteousness? And the second one is, do you need to get, like, fired up here? Let's go. Let's go. There is nothing more valuable than this, this super thing to know Christ, to receive his righteousness that comes from faith, not from your works, but that's received by a gift from God. Let's pray to that end. We're going to pray that two-point two prayer, okay? Can you join me with that? Lord Jesus, I mean, I think there's a, a number of people here. That, I mean, they're very religious people. They've come a long way to just come to church. And it's kind of a neat thing that they're coming regularly. God, I ask that the words of Paul that were, you know, from your mind to his pen would resonate with them and, and help them realize that maybe now they're clinging to a form of righteousness or a form of religion that has no power. 
And I'd ask that, that, Lord, you'd help them on this morning repent of their righteousness, of their own righteousness, and that they would not be defined by that and how much, you know, more sober their life is or, or how honest it is and noble it is, but they, they would repent of considering that a thing of value in the great, in this great contrast of your blazing sun, the surpassing worth of knowing you. So this day, let this day be the day that we move from stage two of being religious to stage three of being a spiritual person, true spirituality, one who repents of their own righteousness. And then, Lord, I'd ask that your heart, that your spirit would invade our hearts and, and answer the question, why aren't we pounding away at this? Aren't we pressing on? And Lord, I'd ask that you would haunt us with that. They would show us, hopefully in someone else's life, how futile that is. And if, if, we, if we won't listen, that you'd show us in our own life how futile it is to hold on to something, to grasp something that's uh, not, not worth keeping. I, God, I'd ask, not that we've got this, not that we've held on to it, but you're holding on to us and we want more. You know, we, run, we eat a big meal and we're just like, oh, that's, that's good, I'm full. That never happens in our souls. So God, our souls want more of you. Give us more of you. Lord, finally, I just want to pray for, you know, our young people that are going all over the place uh, this week, up to Dallas and to Houston and Mexico and, and Africa. And I'd ask that you would protect their body, souls, and spirit. And I'd ask that you would give them a, 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 an experience that would help them see into the eyes of these other human souls, and they would see souls, image of, of God in them. And they would have some kind of transcendent experience so that they could speak truth and love, and they would receive truth and love. And some of them, Lord, I'd, I'd hope that they'd find a place in the world. Maybe you'd call them to something um, that might be in that field. But they'd all go as servants. They'd all go as people that gaze and enjoy what you've done and what are you, you're doing all over the world. We pray for them. Lord, we lift up grace to you that we would be truly spiritual. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.